I have never met anyone with Wilson's disease. All the other providers I had seen previously, they're talking to, like, you know, my mom at the appointment. Like, I really didn't even need to be there because I was kind of just, like, in the corner, almost ignored. Genetics isn't always black and white, and the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. I'm Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, a telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. It seems like there are constantly headlines in the news about genetics, but few news stories focus on the patient experience. At Gray Genetics, we are collecting patient stories, your stories. Every other Tuesday, we share an interview with a patient or a genetic counselor. It was a, a real struggle, you know, adjusting to life as like someone with a disease. We had to fight with the insurance company every single month for five years, you know, trying to get this medication. I would love to see, you know, medications that are so necessary and just so helpful for these patients. I would love to, that to be more affordable for everyone because it can really just make such a huge difference. Abigail Patnode is a newly minted genetic counselor. She just graduated from Sarah Lawrence College with a master's in human genetics in May of 2019. When we recorded this interview, though, she was still a second-year genetic counseling student. Abby also has a genetic condition, Wilson's disease. Hi, Abby. Thanks so much for talking with me today. Hi. Thanks for having me. So you have Wilson disease, which most people have probably never heard of. So what is Wilson's disease. And I feel like um, I always call it Wilson's disease with an apostrophe. And then when I looked it up, that didn't seem to be right. I don't know if that drives you crazy when people do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I always say Wilson's disease as well, but I'm, I think the technical way to say it is Wilson disease. Um, I mean, tomato, tomato. But um, so Wilson's disease is a rare autosomal um, recessive genetic condition where your body can't process um, copper. And so that buildup of copper over your lifetime from your diet and environment and all of that um, can uh, cause some pretty severe symptoms if it's not caught early. Okay. And when you say autosomal recessive, what does that mean for the people who aren't familiar with that? Sure. So autosomal means that it affects uh, both men and women equally. And recessive means that um, both of your parents um, have to be a carrier of this condition. And a carrier would have no signs or symptoms of it. Um, and when they go on to have a child together, there would be a 25% chance that they would have a child that was affected with this condition. Okay, so both of your parents then were carriers for Wilson's disease. Yes. And what, like, I know I don't usually think of myself as ingesting copper, so <laughs> how is it that um, we have copper to metabolize in the first place? So you need a little bit of copper in your body just to, you know, function properly, um, but there's a lot of um, copper found in chocolate, nuts, um, shellfish, um, what are the, some of the other things, um, sweet potatoes, um, there's like some cereals that I really like that um, have high <laughs> copper in them, and so that's kind of how you accumulate it through your diet. Okay, and what happens if you have too much copper that you're not able to metabolize? So people with Wilson's disease um, kind of, I think, 
you usually present either with like hepatic, so liver symptoms, or with neurological symptoms. And if you're presenting with um, hepatic symptoms, it's uh, like liver failure, um, jaundice, and you know that liver failure is like your main your main uh, symptom there. Um, but people who present with more neurological symptoms, it can kind of be a slower like progression um, where there's like ticks and tremors and you know loss of functions fine motor skills stuff like that yeah I would think that with both of those presentations um, especially for people who are a little bit older but even a younger age like like no doctor would think of Wilson disease (laughs) right yeah because it has like such variable expressivity you know you never know how it's really going to present so one keys or one unique sign of Wilson disease is Kaiser Fleischer ring. Is that right? Am yes. Am I saying that right? I think so. Yes. Okay. Um, so what is a Kaiser Fleischer ring? Cause that should be a reason that any, I mean, an ophthalmologist might know to refer and that any physician should, should know as yes. an extra tip, like maybe think about Wilson disease. Absolutely. So, um, it's kind of like a hazel colored ring around the outside of, um, like the colored part of your eye. And that, the hazel color is actually copper that is being deposited in your eyes. Yeah. And in principle, like if they hadn't, um, I don't know, do you know, or have you ever, like your Wilson disease specialist, has he ever said, like if you hadn't been incidentally diagnosed at 16, like what's the average mm-hmm. age of diagnosis? Like when, when do you think like, you'd like not until you'd had severe symptoms, right? Or Yeah, it's usually, um, it's usually, I think like later 20s, even sometimes 30s, if they're more neurologic than hepatic. So um, it's very variable. Yeah. And so in your case, you were actually diagnosed at age 16. Is that right? Yes. And how, and I think you, you said from talking before the interview in a way that was like less typical than for most people. Yeah, it was actually kind of coincidental. Um, so I was really fortunate to um, be diagnosed so early before any hepatic or neurological symptoms um, really showed up. So in my junior year of high school, um, that winter, I was getting really sick all the time and like uh, constantly it seemed like a stomach virus. So I was like throwing up a lot. My mom brought me to the pediatrician and she said, you know, probably just a virus going around. That's fine. Let's just do some like a a regular blood work panel just to make sure that everything's looking good. And from that, um, the there's a certain um, some certain proteins in the blood called LFTs, liver function tests. And those were a little bit high. Um, And so she was like, you know, let's recheck this in a month or so could be just because she had a virus that would kind of explain it and then we came back in a month did it again and it was like double and so she was like okay this is definitely not like something normal so she sent me to a pediatric GI specialist Um, and from there we started doing so much different blood work and different um, procedures I had like a, a liver biopsy and that kind of like confirmed um, a clinical diagnosis of Wilson's disease. Okay. And what, um, what was this? You were only 16 when you're like having your liver biopsied. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Were you taking time off school for these appointments or what was that like, like fitting that into your school life and everything else? Yeah. um, So I did miss a lot of school for my appointments, um, but I was feeling like, you know, 
after that kind of like winter time when I was getting sick, um, that kind of went away. So that was probably really just a virus. And then um, after that, I was scheduling all my appointments um, during school. So I like got to miss school. <laughs> and so Silver honestly, lining. yeah, I was like, kind of happy about that. You know, like no one wants to go to school in high school. Right. Or I get to show up late and like bring my Panera in for lunch and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I didn't really understand like the severity of why I was going to all these appointments. Yeah. And after, so after you had your liver biopsy done, is that mm-hmm. what actually led to the diagnosis? The clinical diagnosis? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then what was the next step from there? Did they do genetic testing to confirm or? Yes. So then I was sent to genetics. Um, and that's where I met with a genetic counselor and a geneticist and got a physical exam and everything. And they sent off, um, the genetic testing and came back in a few weeks. And lo and behold, I had two pathogenic variants in the Wilson's disease gene. Okay. What was, what do you remember about that meeting with genetics? Um, and of course now you're finishing up school for genetic counseling. So I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. is that, is that kind of what put you on that path? Yeah. So I remember, um, I was, I was like really short with all of my answers. Like, so, you know, the genetic counselor is trying to ask all these questions and getting me to open up and all of that, like we're trained to do. And I was like, yes, no. Like, why would you ask that? That's a dumb question. Like, um, so I was really not the most pleasant patient as like <laughs> most genetic counselors can probably say like teenagers are not the best patients. Um, and so I apologize to my past genetic counselor. Um, but something that I really loved about the genetic counselor was that she was actually asking me questions and, you know, all the other providers I had seen previously, they're talking to like, you know, my mom uh, at the appointment, like I really didn't even need to be there because I was kind of just like in the corner, almost ignored. They were just talking to my mom to get all of like accurate information. Mm -hmm. That kind of of surprises me given that you were 16. It's not like you were a young child. Yeah. And so I was like, that really bothered me that, you know, people weren't paying attention to me, but this is the, like, this is happening to me. So I should be in this discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, And so probably like a year later, senior year of high school, that's when I started thinking about like, oh, what do I really, really want to do for college and for a career? And I was like, I always knew I wanted to do something in the healthcare field. Like everyone in my family is a nurse or like uh, teaches science, like something in sciencey and healthcare related. Um, and I started looking into genetic counseling again because I remembered I really, in hindsight, enjoyed that experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, and then here I am now, about to graduate. And so going back to when you first got that diagnosis, do you remember, was it the genetic counselor who gave you the diagnosis? Did you go back in to meet with genetics along with your mom too? Yes, I did. And she talked to you and not just your mom when she gave that diagnosis, I'm guessing? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what did she tell you at that point that that would mean for your life? It seems like in your case, you were catching it early. So that was Mm -hmm. like less serious than it might've been for some people. Yeah. So I am... What I remember is everyone, all of my doctors, the genetic counselor included, just repeating, like, we're really lucky that we found this now because this is treatable, symptoms are preventable, and, like, you're in a really strong position right now. Yeah. 
And do you, is there any medication that you have to take or is it avoiding for certain foods or how is your medical management different now with that diagnosis? So when I was first diagnosed, I was put on um, cyprine and that's like a, a chelating um, medication. So it binds to the copper and then you would, um, it would exit your body like through your urine. Um, and I loved being on that. It was really simple. Um, you just took it once a day and that was it. Like you didn't have to do anything else. And then obviously avoiding high copper foods. Um, and I was on that for about like five years. And then the problem with that medication is that for the insurance company, it's very, very, very expensive. It's about $30,000 a month. Hmm. And I had really good insurance, so I was only paying like $50 for this prescription and the insurance is paying, you know, 29000 however many dollars. Mm-hmm. And they really did not like that. <laughs> so um, we had to fight with the insurance company every single month for five years, you know, trying to get this medication. And I shouldn't say we because my mom did it all. Like she was amazing dealing with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, about two years ago, they were finally like, listen, there's other medications you can take. You need, we're not paying for this anymore. You really need to try something else. Mm -hmm. And so my Wilson specialist, he was like, you know what? Um, Your levels are so good. You know, they're so low. Let's try to transition you onto zinc, which is, um, It works a little bit differently where it blocks your body from absorbing copper from your diet. Mm -hmm. And so we started that and I'm just having like some really um, severe side effects from it and Mm. which apparently most people do fine with except for me. (laughs) Okay. So I'm really struggling now with, you know, taking the zinc and having those side effects and, you know, trying to just be a regular person. Yeah. Is that, um, is the zinc the same that you would get over the counter or is it different? Yeah, I can just buy it at the grocery store or CVS, wherever they have it. I'm sure your insurance is happy with that part at least. Yeah. <laughs> so what are what are those side effects like for you that you're dealing with? It gives me some really bad nausea and it's not like, you know, regular nausea that you can just power through. It, it's like I'm in like cold sweats and like can't do anything and you have to take this medication three times a day on an empty stomach and so that's really hard to plan my whole entire day around that. Yeah. And do you, does it, with these side effects, um, you're Wilson disease specialist, like what kind of doctor is he? Like he must do things other than Wilson's disease because it's not that common of a disease for him to have a practice right. all about Wilson's disease, right? <laughs> um, actually, he's one of like, I think I was told he was one of five Wilson disease like specialists in America. Huh. I don't know how true that stati- statistic is, but I know he does like solely focus on Wilson's disease. Okay. Um, his name is Michael Shilsky. He's a s- surgeon and like Wilson specialist at Yale New Haven Hospital. Okay. And so do, do you know, is he looking at maybe you getting back on is it cyprine? Am I saying it right? Cyprine, yeah. Cy- back on cyprine or so, are there other options? Yeah, there's some other types of zinc that um, we discussed and we're going to try. Um, and then if none of them work, then we're going to try to get back on the cyprine. It's just the insurance coverage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So once you once you got your diagnosis, I mean, I guess you were initially happy to miss out on some school, but um, <laughs> did that kind of change your experience of high school or college for you, like having that that diagnosis, or I don't know if like that having that label affected you in some way, like just like mentally, emotionally. I would definitely never admit it, you know, at the time, but it was a a real struggle, you know, adjusting to life as like someone with a disease. Like I didn't feel sick. So, you know, it was hard to really accept, I guess, um, that I did have a disease. So I really just acted like nothing was wrong because I felt fine and I wasn't having any outwardly symptoms. So why not like just be a regular kid? Yeah. And now that you're in grad school, it sounds like the hardest thing is really dealing with those new side effects from the zinc medication. Yeah. We'll be back with Abby's story in just a minute. If you've always been interested in genetic counseling, but don't know where to start, Gray Genetics is here to help. We know that finding a genetic counselor can be challenging. Here at Gray Genetics, we offer genetic counseling for a variety of specialties. Whether you're interested in cancer, family planning, or cardiovascular genetics, you can connect with a certified genetic counselor who will evaluate your family history and even coordinate testing if necessary, all over the phone or HIPAA secure video conferencing. Check out this service and more on graygenetics.com. That's G-R-E-Y genetics.com. So Wilson, Wilson disease is not something that's part of newborn screening, right? Right. Would it, I mean, is it feasible? Is there, I don't know if it's, it would be meaningful to check blood levels so soon after birth, or is that something that would only be possible if next gen, if newborn screening switched over to being like exclusively genetic testing or incorporating genetic testing on newborns? I think I read a paper like last year where they are trying to come up with some way to add it to newborn screening, but like they haven't found like a good enough cost effective way yet. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, when you're a newborn, the copper hasn't built up that that much. So you don't have crazy high levels or anything like that. Um, So they're looking for something else that would be more cost effective than doing like uh, sequencing of the gene. And in terms of in terms of your interest in genetic counseling, like, do you have an interest in working in Wilson disease specifically, or? Um, no, I don't think I have a specific interest. I think I would love to counsel a patient that you know was just diagnosed, or maybe a family that's dealing with a diagnosis. I think that would be really cool. Um, but I never was like drawn to metabolics. Um, or anything like that. Um, I actually really, really like cancer genetic counseling. Um, but the job that I just accepted a few months ago is in a general clinic, so I'll be seeing a little bit of everything. Um, and it's actually the clinic that I was diagnosed in, so that's really interesting. Nice, congratulations. Will you be Thank working you. with a genetic counselor you didn't treat so well the first time? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, she um, changed practices a couple years after I was there, so. okay. Um, Do you think that your diagnosis has affected the way that you counsel patients? Definitely. Um, I would say, you know, like we talked about before, um, how I kind of felt like people weren't seeing me in the session. Like, that's what I really try to bring to all of my sessions when I'm with patients. Like, that I'm really seeing the person who's right in front of me rather than just, like, the information and the, the diagnosis that we're discussing. Right. Um, and so at this point, you're only, what, 
23 and you're still in grad school, I know you don't have any children right now. Um, mm-hmm. For a lot of metabolic conditions, there's different or specific management that has to happen in pregnancy or certain implications. Do you know what that's like with, with Wilson's disease or is that something that, that you think about? Yeah, it's not really on my radar right now, so I haven't thought about it like in too much detail, but I know that the main thing is if if the individual with Wilson's disease or if myself, like I'm managing my condition well before I get pregnant, then it's expected that you would have a healthy pregnancy. Okay. I think there's a little more monitoring that would go on during the pregnancy um, for like the mother, not necessarily the, the pregnancy itself, um, but just to make sure they're, you know, doing well throughout the pregnancy. But you should, that I know of, there shouldn't be any like crazy complications. Okay. Yeah. Um, what do you think that people should know about Wilson's disease? Or maybe is that too narrow of a thing where people should just <laughs> know things more generally about autosomal recessive conditions or carrier screening? Um, maybe more, I wish more doctors um, or like providers knew about Wilson's disease in general, really because the stories that you read and the case reports that you read about Wilson's disease, it's, you know, these poor individuals have had a lifelong struggle with this condition and they don't, and they weren't able to identify it because it kind of has all symptoms that, you know, don't really seem to fit together. And then when they're like on their deathbed, they finally get diagnosed with Wilson's disease. And, you know, if they were diagnosed 10 or 15 years before, they could have gotten on that treatment and they could have, you know, prevented a lot of pain and suffering for themselves. Um, So I would hope that if someone learns about Wilson's disease, they're able to apply it to their practice and hopefully diagnose someone early enough to make a difference. Yeah. Do you think there's, I mean, in like the training you've already had and working in hospital settings and kind of seeing how hospitals do and don't work, are there like systems or checks that you think could be put in place to do a better job with pointing towards Wilson's disease? It's just like there's so many conditions and it's impossible to keep them all in mind, (laughs) you know? (laughs) That's a really good question. Um, I think... You know, every every provider should be coming up with a, di- a differential. You know, it should never be one condition that's on your mind. Mm-hmm. So maybe if everyone was more conscious of doing that, making a, a list of two or three more conditions that it could be instead of just going with the most obvious one, which most of the time it is, but sometimes it's something rare. Right. Does anyone else in your family have Wilson's disease? No, no one else in my family has Wilson's disease. Um, I have two brothers um, and they were both tested and one is a carrier and one is not a carrier. Okay. Um, and do you know, is Wilson disease something that's routinely included on most large carrier screening panels that are yes, available now? Yes, it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone is listening nervously and they know they had a large panel of carrier sc- screening done for autosomal recessive conditions, it was probably on there. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Okay. Um, and it, it doesn't affect like any ethnicity more than the other, to my knowledge. Um, about so, how common is it thought to be? Um, I believe about one in thirty to forty thousand. Okay, so not rare for genetics, I guess, mm. but not terribly common either. Yeah. 
So you mentioned that you're um, you're going to work in a general genetics position where you'll have exposure to a lot of different types of genetic counseling, but that you're especially interested in cancer genetics. Um, what has kind of made you more interested in cancer genetics? And are there any cases you've been involved in just as a student that have been especially interesting for you? Um, we had a family come in with some really interesting family dynamics that were a bit challenging to work through. Um, but their father had done direct to consumer testing, found out he was a BRCA carrier. Um, and then we had to, you know, clinically confirm that. And it was true. He did have a carrier BRCA mutation and he had three young daughters all in their twenties who all came in to get testing. And, Two of them were positive, one was negative. So we we're kind of, you know, working through all of that. And it, that was a case that just sticks out in my mind. Yeah. And when you say direct to consumer testing, I've realized like in genetic counseling, we call it that. And some other people call it like at home genetic testing. Like right. they ordered it off the internet, right? Yes, they ordered <laughs> yeah. it off the internet. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything about genetic counseling that has just like surprised you or something that you thought the the program you're in would be like or the field would be like that just turned out to be wrong or something that is like an important element of it that that you didn't anticipate? I thought, I guess going into it, I thought it would be so much more straightforward than it really is. Um, and every what do you session. Mean, yeah, what do you mean by straightforward? You know, someone comes in with their history so well-defined and their symptoms are XYZ and it makes perfect sense that it's this condition, you know? <laughs> and nothing ever works like that. Um, each session is really different. The patients are also different and I'm learning so much about, um, about each patient every time they come in. And it's just, it's crazy what you can learn from people in like a 30 or 60 minute session. Yeah. What do you, so a lot of people have not heard of genetic counseling and increasingly mm -hmm. people can order genetic testing off the internet or often a doctor will just order genetic testing. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think the reasons are for a person to see a genetic counselor instead of just ordering testing on their own or through their doctor? Um, you know, if they have any sort of symptoms that their regular doctor can't explain um, any family history of something. If they are looking to start a family and they have a family history of something and they want to discuss that and what that means for the family they're trying to start. Um, I mean, there's so many reasons to see a genetic counselor. Yeah. If they ordered one of these online genetic tests and came back as something that they don't understand, go see a genetic counselor. Yeah. And when, like, when do you think like, a? I guess are there, I mean, thinking about Wilson's disease, if a, if a physician had a patient with symptoms that they didn't understand, like, would that be a reason to refer to a genetic counselor? I guess that's kind of like a specific one-off where you wouldn't usually think that it's going to be a genetic explanation, but like mm -hmm. in your case, it turns out to be. Yeah. I mean, if someone had unexplained, um, liver or like neurologic symptoms, that would be a perfect reason to go see a genetic counselor. And if it was Wilson's disease, even better because now we have the perfect testing and we can get you started on treatment. Right. <laughs> even though the treatment's very expensive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Does, um, so the cost of the treatment, um, does that, do you have a sense of why that treatment is so expensive? I mean, it's an issue that comes up a lot with relatively rare diseases. But. It's really the company that makes it. Um, I think like 15 years ago, it was only like $800 a month or something like that. 
Um, and so they just keep increasing it for really no reason. Yeah. Um, is that, does that influence your views on healthcare politics? <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to see, you know, medications that are so necessary and just so helpful for these patients. I would love to, that to be more affordable for everyone because it can really just make such a huge difference. Yeah. I know I did an interview with someone who has PKU who mm-hmm. told me about, and I'm looking it up, he told me about some legislation at the time that was up that I had not heard about, or oh, the, the Medical Nutrition Equity Act. Are you familiar with that? I think I saw something about it on like your Instagram. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was the first, I mean, that was the first time I'd heard anything about it. And I just went back to like our show notes to, to look, but um, yeah, I guess, I, well, I guess, so this one is more focused on, um, on the, like, um, medical those shakes that they need. Yeah. 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 So there's probably groups out there. Are you aware of any groups that are like focused specifically on the like the issues around like more affordable testing or medications related to rare or less common diseases? I probably should be, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think I'm not like the best patient. Like I'm not super involved in anything with Wilson's disease, but like now I kind of want to start that. I just feel like it's the next step and I should do my part. Um, Are there certain, do you know of, is there like one major Wilson's disease advocacy organization? Oh, it looks like there's wilsonsdisease.org. There's the Wilson's Disease Association, yeah. Okay. I think like my mom and my grandmother are both members of it. Okay, but you haven't been involved yet? No, not yet. Okay. I have never met anyone with Wilson's disease. And so if anyone out there listening to this, you know, has Wilson's disease or knows someone with Wilson's disease and maybe we could connect or email or or whatever, I think it would be really cool to meet someone. If you'd like to share your story, send an email to podcast at greatgenetics.com. Patient Stories is an ad-free podcast and is unaffiliated with any commercial genetic testing laboratories. We would like to keep it that way. You can now donate to Patient Stories online by going to graygenetics.com slash podcast slash donate. If you don't want to make a monetary donation but still want to support the show in another way, leaving a review on iTunes or sharing our episodes through social media also makes a big difference. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendation.